Good morning. So glad you're with us this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. And uh, man, God's doing so much around our church and in our church and in you, and I'm so excited about it. Uh, Daryl talked a little bit about our VBS that we did this week. With uh, mostly LSY kids, we had our, some of our South City kids as well, but it was an awesome thing to see. I mean, if, if you've, I mean, the picture shows us a little bit, but just to experience the joy and the volume and the excitement in this room when they're dancing, jumping, and, and celebrating Jesus' name, it's awesome. You know, I, preachers always want numbers, right? We always want to know, yeah, but what, did, did kids come to know Jesus? That's our heart. That's our prayer. In fact, the whole theme of the camp was changed. My heart has changed. And so I'm pushing Lori, hey, I want to know how many kids really trusted Christ. She's like, she's like it's, it's kind of hard because we've asked them, hey, how many feel like in this camp, God's changed your heart and he's done something amazing for the first time. She's like, everybody raises their hands. So it's a beautiful, we don't really have a number, but God has a number, doesn't he? He knows exactly what he's done in the lives of those kids, and we'll never know. I will tell you that Monday night at our food pantry, we had nine people come to Jesus and be saved Monday night. So praise God for that. God is at work. He's doing something special uh, in our church and in our community, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. And uh, we hope that you would consider being a part of it as well. Hey, listen, we've been in this study called Acts, the Story of the Church. Uh, this is our third summer, kind of taking it verse by verse. Last week, we finished up chapter 15, and you might remember that we kind of ended, it's kind of a sad moment at the end of this chapter because there's this big break between these really good friends. And it's a difficult thing to see, you know, and, uh, but what's awesome is the thing we can learn from this is that God teaches us that even in broken relationships, God can make a way and do something we never expected. And so out of this broken relationship, now we're going to see not one second missionary journey, but two. And God's going to do something incredible, right? That's what we began to, to look at last week. Of course, the writer Luke is going to continue to follow Paul, not Barnabas, uh, you know, and John Mark. He's going to follow Paul and Silas, and they're going to go north, and they're going to go up to Paul's hometown of Tarsus and then over to Lystra. Uh, but what's interesting is the writer Luke, he could have covered a lot of towns between Antioch and Lystra. There's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of stories, a lot of ministry, and a lot of things between Antioch and Lystra. But he's really clear here, he wants us to meet somebody, somebody that's very important, it's a young man by the name of Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, let's get to know Timothy a little bit this morning. Acts 16, verse 1 through 5, got a shorter text today. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for the uh, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now I don't know if, about you, but as we read that, you hear the, the town name Lystra. When you hear that town name, if that, that should sound familiar because we just covered it a few weeks ago as we were talking about Paul's missionary journey in Galatia. Lystra is one of those towns that, that he covered. But the thing about Lystra is um, this is the town where he actually, he almost died. He was beaten severely. He was stoned so severely that he was left 
for dead. That's Lystra. Okay, so if that town sounds familiar, that's, that's why. But what's cool is he's now back in this town and he's going to meet somebody that is very special to him, will become very special to him. That's Timothy. Later on, Paul will call Timothy a son of his, a son of, uh, of his in the faith, somebody that he loves and cherish, cherishes very, very much. And I just think it's very interesting. I don't want to miss this. That in one of the most broken and, and, and difficult moments of Paul's ministry where he was left for dead, out of that broken season, out of that broken space and place and moment comes one of the sweetest relationships of his life. And I think, you know, isn't that just like God? I don't know if you've experienced that, but sometimes in the most broken place of your life, in the most wounded spot of your soul, of your story, God sometimes allows something beautiful to be birthed. Sometimes we're given an incredible gift out of the most broken moments. So what I want to say to you this morning is, if you're walking through some sort of difficulty, if you're in the middle of some sort of difficult season or struggle, know that the, plant, the seeds of faith that you plant now, they could have the greatest impact on your life later. They could have the greatest impact on your faith later. So what I want to say to you is, don't let this season of brokenness or struggle or difficulty define you or defeat you. Let this season encourage you for what God may want to do with it. I don't know about you, but uh, towns kind of take on um, a weird thing in our souls sometimes. I, I, I've told you about some woundedness in my soul for this little city, this little city called Franklin in, in Tennessee. My wife and I love that place. We thought we were going to be buried there. We loved it so much. We thought that we'll be here the rest of our lives. And I had a great wounding sort of that happened in my soul there. And so now when we go back to visit friends in Franklin, it's hard to go through Franklin. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to go through. We pull in the, the city limits. It's like uh, something about, even though we love it so much, that place holds some bitter, difficult feelings, different struggles. It's bittersweet to go through there is what I want to say. Don't you know that Paul's walking through Lystra? <laughs> And he gets to that place where he was laying dead and goes, uh-huh, I remember that spot. Oh, that's where they beat me really bad. I remember, I remember that place. I remember these people. I remember these things. And yet somehow in God's beauty of the way he redeems our stories is even in the brokenness of this place, Lystra, comes this beautiful relationship and friendship with Timothy. I, I was reading this week about some fruit growers in California, how they're trying to figure out ways to grow fruit with less materials, less water. They have drought seasons. How can we grow fruit with less water, less materials? And, and they determined that they can do it. The fruit is actually smaller, which is not that great of a thing, but it's sweeter and it has three times the antioxidants. I think that's the way it is with our lives sometimes. Sometimes we might not have everything we need. It might not be everything we think it's going to be. And sometimes we get wounded and hurt. But it's out of that wound. If we'll allow God to, to use that wound, God will give us something absolutely beautiful through it. So theologians believe that when Paul uh, and Barnabas came through here on their first missionary journey, that Timothy and his mother and his grandmother all got saved. They think they probably came to faith on the first missionary journey. And now this is about five years later. Paul's coming back through. 
and their faith has matured and deepened, right? Uh, it mentions here that um, his father was a Greek, which is important to part of our story here in just a minute. But what you need to know is that kind of the, the tense of the Greek is that his father may be past. And maybe that's the reason he's really more raised by his mother and his grandmother. Theologians believe that uh, Timothy was about 16 years of age, somewhere between 16 and 20. Does that change? Is that interesting to you? I just think that's so cool. We don't give a lot of credit to 16-year-olds, right? We're like, hush, boy, go move along, right? And yet we're going to see today that Timothy is, an, is a, a godly man. He's a godly man, and God's going to use his life even at 16. So if you're 18, 17, 16, you need to pay attention today because God has got a message for you, okay? I promise you. So what's funny is we, we know that he was really young because 15 years later, when he's overseeing and pastoring and eldering the churches in Ephesus, Paul still says he's young. Look at 1 Timothy 4.12. 15 years later, Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth. He would have been 30, right? Or 35 at this point. And Paul still says he's young. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love, in faith and in purity. Now, because he was so young, that's the reason Luke feels like he needs to mention his mom. It's almost, it's, it's odd. How come this young kid is so established and, and so well thought of and such a godly young man? Well, he didn't do it on his own, did he? It's like the turtle sitting on top of the fence post. He didn't get there by himself, right? This, this, is, this is somebody has cultivated this in his life. And so Luke mentions his family a little bit. Now, I know we talk a lot about pastors and elders and, and men specifically in our church. But I don't want to look, um, overlook, listen, the importance of leading women. Can I say that? You cannot look at the ministry of Jesus. You cannot look at the early church. You cannot look at the expansion of the early church apart from the, the, the part and the role that leading women played throughout the, the Scripture. And so today we get to see a really beautiful example of two of those amazing leading women uh, I want to look at that, if you would look with me here. Um, this is going to be uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. We get a little bit more information about Timothy. He says, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. On the back of your card, if you're kind of following along, I've given you two points. That's pretty easy today, right? Two main points. Number one is family discipleship. It is so important that we have family discipleship in each one of our homes, that each one of us is becoming the disciple God wants us to be and that we're passing down what matters most to our children in discipleship. That's what we see happen in this home. This grandmother, Lois, and this mother, Eunice, are going to give something to Timothy as they raise him. They, the, Paul says what they had was sincere faith. I love that. What we call it around here at South City is uh, authentic faith. That's in our, it's in our vision statement. We want to be authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. So what does that mean? It means that we have a real faith. We don't just say something and live something else. No, it is who we want to be. But we're not there yet. We're still growing. We're still learning. We're still becoming who God wants us to be. And we want to pass that on and make disciples. That's exactly what uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother had. They had a sincere faith. And they passed that down 
to Timothy. Can I just take a moment here, parents, and say, ask this question rather. What are you passing down to your kids? What are you, what, what's important to you? What are you sincere about? That is your worldview. It is the thing that you love. It is the thing that your kids go, oh, that's important to him. Oh, man, that's important to my family. They know what it is. Trust me. My question is, is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Maybe it's baseball. Nothing wrong with baseball. But if baseball is more important than you passing Jesus down, there's something wrong with baseball. Right? Maybe it's hunting and fishing and love of the outdoors. That's a good thing. But if that's a greater thing you're passing down than your love for Jesus and an awareness of who he is and his word, a sincere faith, man, you need to take a look at your heart. Take a look at your life. What are you passing down? We're all passing something down. What this family passed down was a sincere faith. And it created a sincere faith in Timothy. What do your kids genuinely see in you? That's my question this morning. 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and, and have firmly believed, Paul says to Timothy, knowing from, who, from whom you learned it. I think he's speaking of himself. Uh, Paul had discipled Timothy. But he's not just speaking of himself. Verse 15 says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you've learned, yes, from me, but you've also learned from your childhood that what matters most are the sacred writings, the word of God. There's two aspects to this family discipleship we see in Timothy's home. We see it was passed down sincere faith and a love of scripture, the value of the word of God. Do you want to have family discipleship in your home? You need those two things. You need to be a sincere believer passing down your love for Jesus and of high value of scripture a high value of who God wants you to be. Our kids should grow up, as Timothy did, with caretakers, with, with, with parents who have an authentic and sincere faith. And we can't grow in Jesus apart from the Word of God. Is that right? You just can't. It's not possible. We start lining ourselves up against the, the world. Well, I'm better than that guy, so I must be okay. That, no, that's not a Christian faith. We, we get what we learn and who we're going to become from what? the word of God. That is our standard. We do it with sincere faith and a high value of the word of God. It's both. It's both. I, I've got to have a parent brag here for a moment. I have a uh, 12-year-old little girl, Daisy. And uh, she's growing in her faith with Jesus. She has a phone, which I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. You know what I'm saying? I don't like the phone, honestly. We have every absolute parental control thing going on that phone. It's locked down like Fort Knox. But she has the Bible app. And she's been inviting her friends to these Bible studies on the Bible app. Hey, join me as we study through this book. I'm like, whose kid is this? It's amazing. I'm so proud that she's growing with the value of the word of God. She values scripture and she's learning it. And she sends me these images she makes with a verse. It's beautiful. And I'm so proud that she's learning that. I, I don't want to uh, look at this story and not, and not honestly take a look at the, the reality that Timothy grew up in, in really a single parent home in, in a way. 
and that many of you sitting here today as single moms or single dads, potentially, trying to raise your kids for Jesus. We have to, take, we have to acknowledge this aspect of this story. What I want you to see is be encouraged that you can do it. Be encouraged that you can raise your children with sincere faith, a value of scripture, and that God can use you to change the children to be an incredible witness to the world. Think of the influence that these women had as mother and grandmother over Timothy. They influenced the whole world through the gospel and through how they raised Timothy. I just want to encourage you that your family may not look like every family on Facebook. It may not look like every family in here. But you can do it by the grace of God and the support of a church. Can I just encourage you? That's why we have small groups. If you're a single mom, single dad, listen, we know it's tough. We know it's difficult. That's why you need to be plugged into one of our city groups so that that group can come around you. And when you can't pick up your kid from school because you're working, somebody can. And it not be that big of a deal or when you need to go to the doctor, when you might need a little help financially, that city group can come around you and go, that's why we're here. We love you. We're the church. We want to make up what you can't seem to, to cover as a single parent home. We want to help you. That's the beauty of small group community. But be encouraged that you can do it. And not only do it, you can do it really well. One of the things that we see in Timothy's life is he, he grew up with the value of Scripture. And, and Paul wants us to understand how important becoming who God wants us to be is as a result of Scripture. Look with me. He continues, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, as a continuation of what Paul was saying to Timothy here. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. That's what the word of God does in us and we can't know him apart from it. Amen? We need to value scripture. We need to value it with all of our lives and with a sincere faith. Look at verse two. Speaking of Timothy, it says, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now what's interesting is it doesn't say his family was well spoken of. Do you notice that? doesn't say, oh man, those are some great women. And now that's, that's Timothy. He's from those. No. It says that Timothy was well spoken of. What that tells me is Timothy had his own faith. It wasn't just, yeah, my mom and I'm a grandmother and yeah, I'm a part of the, I'm, I go to church with them. Right? That's not what we see. We see that Timothy had his own faith. Timothy was the one that was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, these two towns 20 miles apart. He's a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, and he's well-known by how he loves the Lord and the works that he does that honors God. I just think that's incredible. His own life spoke of his faith. People knew him and the kind of young man that he was. He had a sincere faith, and it was that sincere faith. It was that faith lived out in his life that Paul said, man, I need somebody like you. I need somebody on my team who has a sincere faith, a love of scripture, is well known and received and respected in this area. I'd like for you to be on my team, right? That, that, that was an incredible thing for them to ask 
for Paul to ask of him. Can I just stop for a minute and, and go back to the 16, 17, 18-year-olds, 15, 14-year-olds in the room? Listen, are you ready? This is my question for you this, this morning. Are you ready with your faith? If Paul were to come in here and go, hey, man, who's the kid that loves Jesus, is ready to serve, he's well-spoken of, and he's ready to be on mission? Because Paul, because, I'm sorry, Timothy was ready. He was ready to go, and God used his life tremendously. Sometimes you think you can't lead or you can't make a difference, and Paul speaks directly to that, didn't he? To Timothy when he says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Instead, you be the example. You be the one that they look to in speech and conduct and love and in faith and in purity. Why does that sound like such a foreign thing for a 16, 17, or 18-year-old kid? Can I tell you, my life at 16 or 17 was one that was really struggling with this. I was really struggling with this. I was, I was on the fence. I, I wanted to live for myself. I, I was caught up in sin and addiction and struggle and wanting to be cool and be, all, be whatever anybody else wanted me to be, but yet my heart was drawn to God too. And he was doing a work in my life here in this church. And I didn't know what to do. I was being drawn so drastically. And a friend of mine had given me a cassette tape. Some of y'all don't know what that is. Um, I had a cassette tape of this guy, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And I put it in my car. And I had listened to it for weeks. So much so that I, you know, I was already singing along the words with Stephen. I'm singing right along. But one day the Holy Spirit took some of his lyrics and broke my heart. I remember it. I remember the moment. I remember the place I had pulled out of this parking lot. And I had turned around to get on the freeway. That's the way we used to get on the freeway. I had to turn around and get on the freeway up there. And I got on the freeway coming back. And I heard the chorus of this song. It's called Waiting for Lightning. I'd heard it several times. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit helped me hear, not just listen. Helped me hear what God was trying to say. And the chorus said, are you waiting for lightning, a sign that it's time for a change? Are you listening for thunder while he quietly whispers your name? I had to pull the car over. And I pulled the car over and I, and I rewound and I, you had to do that too. Y'all don't know about that. <laughs> I had to wait a minute. That's probably good. Click, you know. And I had to hear that chorus again. And I had to hear it again. And I had to hear it again. And tears began to come down my face. And I began to realize that's exactly what I was doing as a 16 and 17-year-old kid. I wanted God to do some big act to prove to me that he really was drawing my heart. But he didn't need to do a big act because he was whispering by his spirit consistently to me. And it was time for me just to go, I surrender, God. Listen, if you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 48, I don't care. Maybe God's been whispering something to you about obedience, about a call on your life, about doing something for him, and you're waiting for some big sign. Don't do that. If the Lord is drawing you, if he's calling you, be obedient. Say yes, pull, over the, pull the car over and seek him. God can use young people. We need young people who will take their place in the church. They will rise up. They will set an example for the believers in conduct and in speech and in purity. 
What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? So this is what happens. Acts 16.3, Paul wants to take Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, Paul evidently saw enough spiritual growth in Timothy's life that he said, this kid's coming with me and God's going to use him tremendously. But then he does something that's kind of confusing, doesn't he? I mean, based on the conversations we've been having, right? Coming out of the Jerusalem council, remember what the Jerusalem council said? You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Welcome to the team, Timothy. We're excited you're with us. I need to circumcise you, right? I mean, what? Some people think Paul has lost it. He's gone over to a legalism sort of aside and said, this is what you need to be and you need to follow these rules. But that's not the heart of Paul. That's not Paul. If you know Paul at all, that's not him, (laughs) right? He's preaching freedom. He's preaching grace. He led the conversation in Jerusalem. So let's dig in. Let's, Let's look. Why would he circumcise Timothy for this? What's the purpose of this? Well, one thing we need to understand is that the text speaks to it. Look what it says. It says, because of the Jews who were in those places, that's why he circumcised them, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, you need to know, rabbinic law is this. If the mother of a child is Jewish and the father of a child is Greek, then automatically that child is Jewish. That's just rabbinic law. However, Timothy was not circumcised, right? And so Paul knew that in order for Timothy to be effective in Jewish communities, he would have to be circumcised because he was a Jew. Right? Now, here's what's interesting. Timothy could have pushed back. <laughs> Timothy could have gone, well, yes, but I heard about this Jerusalem council thing. Tell me more about that and let's wrestle this discussion. That's not what Timothy does. But Paul does this act so that he can remove the obstacles for salvation for Jews. Where's the first place that Paul always goes in the Pauline cycle? Where's he go? When he comes to the city, he goes to a synagogue, right? He goes into the synagogue. He goes into the hub of Jewish community. And in, in order for Timothy to come with him, Timothy needed to be circumcised. Look what John Stott, a wonderful theologian, says. He says, what was unnecessary for acceptance with God, in other words, right, circumcision was not needed for salvation, What was unnecessary for acceptance with God was advisable for acceptance for some human beings. He urged Christians with a strong or educated conscience not to violate the consciences of the weak or overscrupulous. A strong conscience gives us liberty of behavior, but we should limit our liberty out of love for the weak. Again, though free, Paul was willing to make himself a slave to others. To those under the law, he was prepared to become like one under the law in order to win those under the law. Was that not exactly what he was doing when he circumcised Timothy? I think it was. I think it was. He, he knew Timothy didn't need to be circumcised for his salvation. He had been saved on the first missionary journey. So it wasn't an issue of, of Timothy's salvation. It was an issue of Timothy's ministry. This is, in order for Timothy to be effective, this is what needed to happen, to remove this obstacle. Later, we're going to see that Paul is going to be with Titus who's a Greek, and is not required to be circumcised. This had to do with Timothy's mother being Jewish, him officially being Jewish under rabbinic law, and serving Jews. Here's the second thought on your card. 
Timothy, we've been talking about his immediate family, his mom, his grandmother, but we see that Timothy's going to put family first and not his immediate family I'm talking about. I'm talking about his church family. The ability for people to come to know Jesus, the ability to be in fellowship, in community with someone, he's going to put them first and show us what that's like. Paul talks about this kind of uh, laying down of your rights, if you will. Isn't that what Timothy does? Instead of pushing back against Paul and kind of going, well, let's talk about this. He just trusts Paul. He just says, if that's what you feel like is best, I, we just, I just trust. We just trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going I'm to follow your lead. Okay? That's, that's my heart. That's what we want. I want to do. And so he lays down his rights. And that's exactly what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, uh, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is exactly what Paul's doing. He's helping Timothy understand in ministry, you're going to have to make sacrifices. In ministry, you're going to have to lay aside your rights because it's not about you, Timothy. It's about what, this, what we can do for someone else. Can we make a difference in someone else's life by, by laying our rights down? By going the extra mile. And so Timothy is welcomed onto this missionary team with a trial by fire, right? And it's this kind of willingness. It's this kind of sacrifice that allows God to do amazing work. And can, can I just say, what Timothy does, his willingness to do this, it, it reminds me of somebody. It reminds me of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus did? He laid his rights down, didn't he? He laid his rights down. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what Timothy does is the same thing Jesus has done. Timothy says, if I can make this sacrifice, if I can lay down my rights, then maybe somebody will come to Jesus. Maybe somebody will come into this family. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Laid down his rights, laid down himself on our behalf so that we might know him. That's exactly what he did. So what do we learn from this 16-year-old kid and this gesture that he does? He doesn't put up a fight. God uses him tremendously. What do we learn? The first thing I think we learn is that Timothy's saying, my life's not my own, right? My life's not my own. I've been bought with a price. Jesus has changed me. He owns me. Everything I have, my body, my mind, my future, my dreams, my soul, everything about me is his. So yeah, if you want to take this part of me, take this part of me for your glory, 
And then we learn something about leadership. I love studies in leadership. Daryl and I share this love of learning as leaders. That's why we support the Will, the, the Will Creek Leadership Summit so much because we learn and grow as leaders in a, great, in a great way. This is a study in leadership in a way. But here's the thing you learn about leadership with Timothy. Leadership is not just people saying good things about you. He had that, didn't he? Across two towns, he had people that were saying really great things about him. But that's not all leadership is. We learn that leadership is also sometimes humbling yourself, giving yourself away for someone else. That's great leadership, right? That's what a great leader is. So it's out of that humility. It's out of that trust. It's out of that desire for the mission to go forward that people really were saved, that people were changed. And we see that their desire for what they came for happens. Look here. Acts 16, as we close, Acts 16, 4 says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, when I first read this, if I'm just being really candid, I read something into it. I read it and I just felt a real cruel irony. <laughs> Do you see that at all or is it just me and my messed up brain? There's a real cruel irony in a way when you read this. So here's, here's Timothy now part of the team with Paul and Silas and they're seeking to go to these churches and deliver this news to these Greeks, to these churches. You don't have to be circumcised to believe in Jesus all while Timothy is feeling the pain of circumcision. Doesn't that feel like a cruel irony in a way? But as I prayed about it, as I thought about it, as I considered it more, I began to realize it's not cruel irony. You know what this is? Timothy had a great honor. Timothy was given a great honor to make this sacrifice for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, for the mission of God to go forward. And shouldn't that be how we see every difficulty in our life? I mean, whatever you're facing, Whatever brokenness is in your marriage or in your kids or in your business or, or whatever's going on in your heart and in your soul, what if we begin to turn those things around and say, God, what, what an honor that you have chosen me to, to bear this difficulty for you. Because I promise you the world is going, oh, they got divorced. Now let's see how Jesus-y Jesus she is, Right? Oh, his business went down the tubes. Now let's see how much he loves Jesus. The world wants to watch you fail. The world wants to see in you that you really didn't mean it. And when we face difficulty, church, it's an opportunity for us to go, hey, this is a scar that I gladly bear for the glory of Jesus. I think about there's a scripture in Acts or in the early part of Acts where the disciples are leaving the Sanhedrin, they'd been questioned. And it says they counted themselves unworthy for the opportunity to be persecuted for Christ. And in whatever difficulty you face, what if we said, God, how you've blessed me and you've given me this gift to represent you in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of whatever you're walking through and say, God is still worthy of my praise. Isn't that what Job said? Job said, though you slay me, still I will trust you. Though you slay me, 
still I will trust you. And listen, I'm not saying it's easy. Lori and I walked through nine years of infertility. And we had to sort of find ways to form in our mouth. But God is still good. When it was hard for our hearts to believe it. Though you slay me, still I will trust you. What if we let the brokenness of our lives be an opportunity for his glory? But the only way we can do that is we say, Lord, I lay down my rights. My life is not my own. I trust you with all that I am. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, they do exactly what they intended to do. They strengthen these churches. They see the numbers grow daily. All a part of their sacrifice, all a part of them laying themselves down so that God could use them. Friends, as we close this morning, I want to take you back to those two points. Number one, as parents, do, we have, do you have family discipleship in your home? Sometimes when I say that, you go to this picture of, oh, you know, this really kind of corny, okay, kids, we're going to sing our worship song and we're going to read our, like this real strange kind of thing that crazy people, no, use every opportunity as a learning moment to teach your kids about Jesus. My daughter came downstairs last night. She was afraid of the dark. She's 12, and she, was, she heard something. We said, baby, have you talked you talk to the Lord about it? Let's pray about it. He's with you in the dark. Every single opportunity we can to lead them back to what matters most. And then the question of what are you passing down? I think it's a big one this morning. It's one that I'm convicted to, to consider in my own life, in my own family. What are you passing down? Friends, listen, if you pass down a love of sports or a love of the outdoors and you don't pass down Jesus, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Can you look in the mirror of your own life today and say, Lord, what is it that's so important to me that my kids know it? I don't even have to say. They know it. You ask my kids, what's important to your dad? What what are they going to say of you? Is it Jesus? Is it knowing him? Is it worshiping him? Is it serving him? Because if it's not, then we're passing down something that doesn't matter as much. And then lastly, do we have a mind of Christ? That's what Timothy had. He had a mind of Christ to put others first for the sake of them coming to know Christ, for the sake of them going deeper in their understanding, their relationship to be strengthened in these churches. The title of the message is family. I think it's interesting that we get this example of, of Timothy's immediate family and yet the sacrifice he was willing to make for his family of families. It's all tied in, isn't it? And we get to understand this character a little bit more and respect him at 16 for the difference that he's just beginning to make in the early church. Would you pray with me? Lord, marriage is not easy and Raising kids is not easy. It's difficult. And yet you're with us in all of it, through all of it. I'm thankful for the church that we can bear this burden together. That when we dedicate a child on this stage, we're not just saying we pray that everything goes well from here. No, we're saying 
We want to walk with that child. We want to help that family. We want to come alongside them and, and be the church with them, encouraging them, challenging them, teaching them what matters most, which is a sincere faith and a value of the Word of God, a life lived for Jesus. God, I want to pray for every family in this place. I want to pray for every mom, every dad, every single parent home that's struggling to try and make you Lord of that home. They're doing their best. God, I want to pray for every small group that could come around each one of those families. I want to pray for every 16 and 17 and 18-year-old child in this, in this place, young person in this place, that they set an example for the rest of us that they be willing to lead, Lord, even at their age and be ready for what it is that you want to do in them because, God, you might want to do a, a world-altering, world-changing, gospel-giving opportunity to them. Are they ready? Am I ready? And God, would you give us a mind of Christ to put other people first? Would you give us a heart, Lord, to remove obstacles so that people may be saved? And people may grow deeper in their discipleship of you, Jesus. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for a chance to study it, to lean into you, Lord. I pray that you would continue just to meet us here and be with us here and meet every need of every family and every person in this room by your grace and your goodness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.